0: Let's turn our hearts towards the fourth boundless quality called equanimity, Upeka. in Pali. I would say that it's from the, in Theravadan Buddhism, it's the quality that is sort of most obvious in most of the images as we've named before, the kind of traditional statues of a Buddha image often express this quality of equanimity of being like a mountain, really here, like a mountain that is not agitated or flustered. If it's raining, the mountain doesn't mind. If it's snowing, if it's blazing sun, if it's got little vices growing on it, if it's got people skiing down it, the mountain is there, it has a presence and a hereness to it that is not pulled around. This is the image that's very commonly used in this Theravada Buddhism. Maybe it's different for you, but that's the image that I have. I think the little I knew about the, the Buddha, whatever I imagine that was, is that sort of unruffled quality. Um, particular kind of archetype of not being pulled around by what arises internally and what arises externally. Consider the antidote to agitation, And I think that's why this is a real offering to the world, this quality, because it's not the most obvious quality, is it, that we think of with humans. The ones that have more uh, upbeat qualities might be more popular, um, more valued. Some of you may very much value the equanimity, but it's not always highly valued in a worldly sense. We sometimes wonder, what's it for? Like, how's that going to get anything done? How's that going to serve in the way that I want to serve? How does equanimity really have a place in the path of appropriate response to the world? <coughs> There's a metaphor is used, and I'm going to do my best to paraphrase them, maybe Jai can help me if I don't get it right, used in the text, referring to different uh, elements like air, uh, space, earth, water, etc. And it gives, it says, let the mind be like space, where upon contact with experiences that are pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, the space is not horrified. Nor humiliated, nor disgusted. When you think of that; something arises in space, or you know, a firework arises in the night sky, and our normal—at least, you know—if we're in a good mood, we're going kind to, of, you know, there it is, Wee! there's the firework, right? We're kind of excited, and that's fine and beautiful. The equanimity, in a way, in a way senses the whole field. It's not excited by one firework. It's holding a bigger picture. It's not pulled by the particular contact with what arises in this metaphor in the sky. And there's the sky of our own heart, mind. Many things move through. And actually, as we clarify, things can move. We see many things. We see everything there. And not a particular experience has to pull us or push us not horrified, humiliated or, or disgusted by what arises it's like the metaphor, the a lovely poem a Zen poem I think and it says water birds, you think of these beautiful water birds you, you must have seen this thing where there's a pool a pond and the water birds kind of land and it makes that impression on the water doesn't it like, right, and then they're off again and it leaves no trace the water it's just it's water, it's nature is water leaves no trace doesn't mean the water wasn't impacted doesn't mean the water hasn't registered the birds it really felt the birds but it's not stuck like those birds what are they doing Or come back birds right Oh, it's gone. The goneness, the goneness. Sometimes in our mind we can think the goneness. Well, then you know that's that. Those people who never respond to anything—I don't like those. If you might have that view, not at all. The Buddha's entire life was about response. In what way was true for him, her, whoever are the beings that respond? In the world from equanimity, where our response is likely to be more in tune, actually, with... Yeah, and more likely to be an intelligent response, not just an agitated response. <laughs> But we know when such a thing is valued like a quality like this then if we're not careful and it's not balanced with these other, <coughs> these other three we can get into ego versions of equanimity. Have you, any of you ever tried that? <laughs> Am I bothered? Right? It, it can be sometimes it can just be the hardness where somebody doesn't appear bothered but we can't find them. Right? Not because they're um, gone in the sense of you know completely clarified but there there's a hiding there's a hiding <clears throat> one of my friends he admits to doing this and he even says because there's some awareness of it now he says oops just gone into my shed he hasn't actually gone to the garden shed he's kind of gone hmm? have you ever done that do you know people that do that <laughs> and we don't have to be down on that. We do that when there's pain. We do that because we've been overwhelmed or we don't yet know that we have the capacity or the resources aren't quite all there yet to be able to sit in the middle seat of equanimity, which is not pushing towards the world nor pulling back. It's here. And here is where response can arise. So the shed might be one, you're not bothered when you're in the shed, right? No one's bothering you. But it's not equanimity, it's more like indifference. The heart has got a, um, it's still shrouded. It's not available actually. Sometimes we don't want to be available. Anyone ever got tired of being available? That's why you came here, right? (laughs) Enough available, right? But we wanna. What we're working (coughs) with in practice isn't retreating from availability. It's finding out what true availability is. That's not. I have to be available because look, there's so much going on with you and me and the world. And oh, let me go to Guy House. Enough availability, and we do inappropriately. Many of us we straddle the middle way again and again and again. It's like we're hanging out our shop sign. Yes, I'm here. I do care. But it can't sustain. Because we haven't yet learned the equanimity. We haven't yet learned what tracelessness fully means yet. And how that can be in the service of what we truly love. The silence and the service. All of it. The aloofness, the distance... Is, has lost the intimacy it's lost the intimacy with our own heart where the the heart of the heart, I would say of the equanimous Buddha and I'm using Buddha, not just historical Buddha but the equanimity in that moment of sitting there the intimacy is is complete complete One Tibetan teacher describes equanimity as equally close to all things. Equally close to all things. I'm not selecting that or rejecting that. Stopped pushing and pulling for a while. And when we do, what do we find? Actually, we're pretty intimate with everything and that's often what we're retreating from. (laughs) It's too real. I remember this morning. Can we, as we deepen in equanimity and follow this practice, we can find out it's in a way the missing piece for, for many of us in learning how to hang out available as humans for ourselves. And when we really do, we find that everything is here the joys, the sorrows, the suffering the magnificence the horror the incredible great heart Um, see if there's anything else So, I think I pretty much said most of it so you can think of that metaphor like the water and the water birds landing and taking off again and not leaving a trace but it's been intimately known by the water more thing, somebody explored something similar this morning in the face of um, <coughs> you know, I want to serve, I want to help, I'm aware of so much but my little bit of service isn't going to make any difference to this entire full catastrophe as Zorba the Greek called it apparently, full catastrophe But I think he said it with a smile on his face. The full catastrophe. Like all of it. All of it. And as she explored it, she could feel that place that that cared, but it's like there's a kind of pointlessness or a futility. What's this little difference, is my little difference going to make? And as she explored that, she felt underneath it the helplessness. The helplessness that as she let herself feel it, was not a helplessness that led to indifference or the shed or the anxious pushing forward. It became a gateway, feeling that tolerating the objective aspect of our helplessness. Mm. Right, born helpless, we die helpless, and in between we sometimes forget. <laughs> we can't help it. We're helpless. We're just here as she let herself feel something objective like that she sat closer to that middle seat of equanimity yes, within that space the desire to serve and help was there and tolerating her own vulnerability actually our vulnerability to sit in the seat the middle seat lets us be intimate with everything (coughs) and we can be a little ambivalent about that that's why we need the equanimity it deepens us like the mountain. Deeper, wider, still, so still. Not a frozen stillness, not a rigid stillness, but a stillness where all the potentialities of life can emerge when the time is right, but so still. Unagitated. The understanding that goes with this in the face of everything, actually. It's it's not just in the face of suffering, it's in the face of suffering. It's in the face of the beauty and the magnificence. It's in the face of just the sheer volume and teemingness of life. It's in the understanding And if we bring it right back to this concrete level, it's the understanding. Have any of you ever experienced the gap between the way you think things should be and the way they are right now? (laughs) Any of you ever thought you knew what was the best for someone and they kept not doing it? (laughs) Even knowing what's best for ourselves and we still keep not doing it, right? There was a there's a word in special word in ancient Greek for that the human perplexity. It's got something like acacia or something of of knowing what's best for you, but not doing it. This this funny gap. But whether it's for someone else, for ourselves, for the world, if they would just stop that, that gap is the gap of agitation. If we close it only with our mind, we become um, indifferent or apathetic. But the true reflection here is that, that things are as they are right now. They actually can't be different than they are right now. All causes and conditions have led to this moment arising as it is, like right now. If I'm not pushing and pulling against that, I realize that the arising of that is not in my control. And what other people do with their moment of arising is not in my control the gap can close between the way I think things should be everything would be so much better if only (coughs) I didn't have this arising this pain no when we study the equanimity if we learn how to meet with intimacy this, this too is a sacred gateway it's a jump gate right back into the sacred matrix not so that means we never do anything maybe that's true for you but from their intelligence can arise that's new that's fresh that isn't taut and tight we need the equanimity for this things are as they are in this moment they're not in my control even though I think you would be so much better off if you did that it's not in my control actually letting my heart breathe out in relief that doesn't mean it closes it's actually harder to tolerate Hanging out with witnessing something that we may not see as skillful. Yes, we can say no, we've talked about that. It's not about being a doormat. We can say no when we need to. But the gap that closes is between the way I think things should be in time and this immediate living present where true response arises. So we'll work with the equanimity in a minute. I'll offer some phrases Um, but I'd like to ask Jara if she'd lead us maybe in 10 minutes of Qigong Mm -hmm. and then we'll sit
1: so before you become too equanimous stand up (laughs) some of you want to come up here to just give yourselves a little more room (coughs) (coughs) Maybe just beginning again by sensing what your body needs in terms of having a a stretch or a wriggle or shake. And then coming to the standing posture, so with the feet about hip width apart or a teeny bit wider and parallel or slightly turned out if that's more comfortable for you. Feeling the feet really firmly planted on the floor and you might rock to and fro to find that point of balance as if you're balancing right through the very centres of your feet, there's an energy centre there. And letting the ankles be soft and the knees slightly bent, so backs so of the knees can open, and also the pelvis is soft, and the tailbone st- tucked slightly in, so the back of the spine lengthens. Imagining your head is suspended from the ceiling with a golden thread, so the back of the neck is long as well, and the chin maybe tucked slightly down. And letting the shoulders widen and the face be soft and the jaw be soft and the arms hang loosely at the sides. And feeling your breath here coming and going from the body. And then we'll start with some radiant body breathing, so letting the arms float out to the sides, the backs of the hands lead. And then they turn and the palms face the ceiling and coming up as you inhale. And exhaling down the front of the body, down the two sides. And you can sink deeper into the knees if you you want. Breathing in. And breathing out. So maybe only 70% or so of your effort is in the actual physical gesture. The rest is just available as presence, as mindfulness. These arms, that, as Catherine said yesterday, are an extension of your heart. all the way to the tips of the fingers. And then when you complete the next one, pausing at the bottom. And then we'll reverse the movement, so the coming up the center line of the body with the palms facing the body, one over the other, and imagining that you're drawing the energy up through the center of the body, and settling down at the sides. Breathing in up the central channel of the body. And letting that release. And then completing that and coming to rest in the standing position again. and then passing from the core, so this is the one where the backs of the hands come together in front of you or towards one another, and the shoulders round, so you're feeling a real opening across the back of the neck and shoulders, and the tailbone's tuck slightly in, and then as you breathe in, you come up the centre, and the shoulders draw back, and the front of the body opens, and down. making this elliptical shape with the shoulders and hands. Allowing the chest to really open and the lungs to fill. more movement and then letting that complete and coming back to rest taking a moment here and then passing the other way so the shoulders come up and round to the front and down the center you can experiment once you get the hang of the movement, just letting it become a little smaller and thinking of the energy flowing, the subtle energy of the body flowing in this elliptical shape as you breathe in and out and worrying less about the physical movement. And letting that and coming to stand feeling that contact of your feet with the floor and just letting that movement settle in the body feeling any after effects of the movement and then we can let the hands float up in front of us to this universal embrace allowing the knees to soften and the shoulders to drop. So it may be that the shoulders have come up as you raised your arms, let the shoulders be soft and relaxed. The arms be round. And seeing if there's anywhere where you can actually apply a little less effort to holding this posture. Imagine if I asked you to sustain it for 10 minutes. (laughs) Okay, and then the right hand can come up above the crown of the head, and the lower hand down to the lower belly. And feel that extension as you breathe in, stretching the right side of the body, and breathing out, and switching the hands. So if you're drawing out a silken thread between the palms of your two hands as you stretch. Breathing in, opening the side of the body, and breathing out to returning. doing one more movement to each side in your own time and then coming back to standing. the trees in the animals again. And then Catherine was talking about the birds taking off from the, from the Great Lake, and that reminded me of one of my favourite ones, so um, you, if you bring your feet more or less together, and this, is, this one is the crane that takes off from its perch and flies home to its nest so the arm movement has two parts the first one is that the hands come out to the side like you're flying and as that the knees straighten you as you come up and then you the knees soften bend as you come down so that's taking off and then the hands come up the front and you settle back down on the nest you come down. so I love flying I think we don't get enough chance to express our our bird nature. (laughs) So imagine you're a beautiful crane soaring off its perch. And settling on its nest. And if you're feeling very balanced as you soar up to the top, you could come up onto your toes. Or you can just simply let your legs extend to land in the Feel how good it is for the lungs to be allowed to fly. Doing one more round. And then coming to rest. And coming back to standing. And we'll just end with uh, tapping the meridians to energize the body. So if you extend your left hand with the palm upwards. And take the fold the right hand with the thumb under and just have the fingers and then tap up the inside of the left arm. So it's starting with the fingertips and the centre of the palm. So you're tapping, you're not slapping too hard, you're just as much as feels invigorating but not painful to you, and the wrist. And up the inside of the arm, I'm pausing a little at the elbow, and carrying one up to the shoulder, maybe over the back of the shoulder a little bit, and then gently diagonally across the collarbone, so tapping across the collarbone, across to the other side and back again, and then turning the left arm over and coming down the outside of the left arm to the back of the hand and the fingertips. And then turning to the other hand and doing the same thing on the other side. So tapping your right palm and fingertips, and up the inside of the right arm, across the elbow, inside, around the back of the shoulder, and then across the collarbone gently here, and back, and down the outside of the right arm waking that up and then gently here from the collarbone gently down the front of the body and very softly respectfully over the organs of the front body into this crease between the legs and the of the legs. And then round over the feet and up the insides of the legs. Back into the crease here. And then maybe gently up the torso again. And you can end with a very gentle tapping of the neck and then the face, just with your fingertips lightly tapping around the face around the eyes and the skull, the top of the head, the ears letting that energy be reabsorbed settle in the body and then we complete with this gesture of balancing at the heart so the fingertips come together the feet come together and just feel the energy recollecting in your centre may you all be well May you all be balanced as it means.
0: traditionally one of the phrases that's used for equanimity practice is when we bring to mind someone or a situation that either they're struggling with or we would like to be different in some way the phrase that's used is your happiness or unhappiness depends on your actions not on my wishes for you and I'm going to unpack that a little bit so we can find phrases that help us stay in contact with the stillness of equanimity without shutting down or becoming aloof or indifferent or transcendent in some way it is transcendent but it's also very intimate the, the equanimous heart is still open, actually. We know that the conditions of our life, while well, yes, it is important to take care of the conditions of our life and beings in the world, but ultimately our happiness or unhappiness isn't dependent upon those conditions. You know that for yourself probably. You can, you've can. you seen it. The person that accumulates the most money and has got it all together isn't and is very often not necessarily happy. And this in no way is trying to equalize conditions and say we don't have to work for rights, equal rights and justice, not at all. But we, those of you who've Witnessed beings with very difficult, difficult conditions of uh, sometimes illness or, or deprivation in some way aren't necessarily unhappy. So the conditions themselves, in fact, are very often not, or not, sorry, not very often not, there's no absolute equation there there's no equation there so it's understood in the tradition that our happiness depends on our responses to conditions conditions will keep arising they will be more fortunate or less fortunate but our response our intention and our response is what will uh, determine our happiness so if I give a simple example I'm asking my mind to come up with an example right now. (laughs) No guarantee it will. Let's see. All right, so maybe that's the example. Right? What I would like to happen right now, for the conditions to be that I would be a good teacher, right? I'd come up with a really nice example and everyone would understand. so I wait for the example I didn't know I was going to say this till I came in this particular bit and I was hoping for an example to pop up but it didn't so what's my response what choice or what, what real response do I have in that moment I can see it clearly I can hold it I can accept it I can say yes and then something new can come forth I can go oops Hope they didn't notice that bit. Um, get embarrassed. Give myself a hard time. Um, hide my head when I walk outside. Right? It's a very, very small, mundane example, but they happen all the time. Our response is not determined. Some of the conditions that arise are the fruits of things that have happened, right? You know, I hurt my, if I hurt my ankle yesterday and it still hurts today, I might not be able to fix that right away, but my response to that is not determined. Actually, it's, it's supported by my intention, the previous um, good intentions that I've sowed to wake up. If we have a moment of mindfulness there, we actually have a choice. So let's work with it a little bit, and maybe we can unpack it a little bit more tonight, we'll see. But our work is to tune and invoke this quality of the stillness of equanimity, where we can breathe out with conditions. They're not in our control. They're not in our control, but our happiness or unhappiness... Somebody else's dis- depends on our responses, our actions, inner and outer. The last little quote, just about the not being in control. I think that's part of the hard, the hardest part for us humans, not in control. This is from Gandhi. He said, "I have just three enemies." He was down to three. He said, the first and the most easily open to my influence is my old friend, the British Empire. My second adversary, much more difficult, is the Indian people. But my foremost opponent, the most formidable enemy, is a man named Mohandas K. Gandhi. With him, I seem to have very little influence. (laughs) (laughs) We can take our hands off a little bit. The mystery of life in India doesn't mean that he goes into the shed at that point. Okay, something about conditions is a little mysterious here. But if we're awake, we can respond. So taking a breath, find your seat. Take, let the crane come to her or his nest. Settling in your nest. taking your seat and you can bring to mind someone that you know perhaps Make it personal to start with someone who you may have tried to fix there might not be anything terribly the matter but there's a way you think it would be better if they did such and such they would be so much better off if they just bring them to mind invite them in and I'm going to offer a few phrases again just flag up one or two for yourself we see that being in our mind's eye and sometimes we see things unfolding in ways that don't seem like they're the best and if you can't think of anyone right now might be um, a work situation which is just not in our control or if we're involved in any institutions or groups of people There's always something, isn't there? (laughs) There's always something. Whether I understand it or not, things are unfolding according to a lawful nature. Just try that out. Whether I understand it or not, things are unfolding according to a lawful nature. I care for you, but I can't control your happiness or unhappiness. Seeing if it works for you. I care for you, but I cannot control your happiness or unhappiness. simple one that can be used quite classically is, things are just as they are. They aren't otherwise. Things are just as they are. And the trick with this practice is to stay awake. Equanimity is kind of doesn't have as much affect as perhaps the joy or the compassion or the metta. It might feel a little more neutral to start with, which is why we slip into this disappearing quality if we're not careful. Check it out. Stay awake. Here's another nice one. Things can only be as they are right now. Things can only be as they are right now. Feel that. Breathe with that. Mm Mm-hmm you're still here still awake still (coughs) and the one I mentioned earlier your happiness or unhappiness depends (coughs) depends on your responses to life happiness or unhappiness depends on your responses to life. (coughs) Or your happiness or unhappiness depends on your actions not on my wishes for you. If you notice you become distant and hard and cool, find the one that lets you stay in that sort of not knowing, not controlling, but here, still, deepening with that wide water of teeming life. I'll just go through them once more briefly, just choose one (coughs) for now. Whether I understand it or not, things are unfolding according to a lawful nature. I care for you, but I can't control your happiness or unhappiness. Things are just as they are right now. Things can only be as they are right now. Your happiness or unhappiness depends on your responses to life, not on the conditions. happiness or unhappiness depends on your responses to life not on the conditions and do select one or two watch if there's a tendency to go into the shed and don't yank yourself out of it just put the light on in the shed. Oh, here I am. Right there, your back. Right there, your home. Landing on your nest. So let's sit for a little while together with one person or one situation. Cultivating this boundless quality of equanimity. balancing and calming. cultivating this quality that doesn't call so loud it's an acquired taste taste it Letting the mind be like space and upon contact with experience, pleasant, unpleasant and neutral, the space is not horrified, humiliated or disgusted. May all beings no balance, may all beings no equanimity, may all beings no stillness.